This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Garnacho's toe, Declan Rice at the far post, Johnny Evans' deflection and Arsenal squeeze past Manchester United at the Emirates. A healthy dose of hat-tricks in the Premier League this weekend. Hyungmin Sun having a lot more fun than last year. Erling Haaland having exactly the same amount of fun as last year. And Evan Ferguson giving off strong Harry Kane vibes. Go on, Gareth, steal him from under Barry's watchful gaze. Is it fair for someone of Thiago Silva's age to have to play against Taiwan or Wanyi? A great win for Forrest at Stamford Bridge. Liverpool look great and there's an Apology to Sheffield United and Everton, categorically not the worst game of all time. Of course, there's a bit of VAR, a huge Monday night football to look forward to. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Lucy Ward. Hi, Max. And hello, Will Unwin. Hello, Max. Craig says, now that Arsenal have celebrated like they've won the league, how many points should the Premier League award them above the regulation three? And Blades Watch says, football's a game of fine margins, isn't it, Barry? Isn't it, Barry? Certainly is, Max. I don't really know what to make of this game. It was tremendously exciting. Uh, conclusion, obviously. But for large parts of it, it wasn't that great. And yes, it was just terrific fun. Um, it could have gone either way. Thought. So, both teams played quite well in patches, played quite badly in patches. Uh, but Arsenal eventually ran out probably worthy winners uh, with um, two very, very late goals. And um, it was obviously all the referee's fault if Eric Ten Hag is to be, yeah. uh, be believed. But I, I'm not having that. No, I... Um... I, I agree with you, with Barry there, Lucy, that, that it was more a sort of game of moments rather than sort of some kind of well I found it quite hard to analyze actually and so if we go through those moments in some sort of order Declan Rice's winner right it's a wonderful moment for him firstly right you could just see what it means to him he comes across as a great bloke he clearly loves playing football as Barry alluded to Ten Hag wanted a free kick for Gabrielle on Johnny Evans I just wonder if Ten Hag should spend more time worrying about how free Declan Rice was at the far post yeah, or the fact that he has to play Johnny Evans and, and Maguire at centre-back. I think that's what I'd worry about a little bit more. No no offence to those players, but I'm sure the Man United fans are looking at that and thinking, how have we not signed a, another centre-back? But yeah, it, it was a good game. I think it was it was quite low-key, wasn't it, until um, Rashford scored. And then, like you say, when it ebbs and flows, when the momentum changes like that, so the Man United fans are celebrating like mad, and I'm sat there going, that was offside. It looked offside straight away, but obviously it was a lot closer than than it appeared. And um, and I, I, Neil sat next to me going, yeah, but you can't give that for offside. I was like, well, you do. That's the whole point of VAR, that it is offside. Yeah, but then that's what you argue about. Yeah, that's another that's another argument. But I, I think with the Rice goal, I, I always spend the time watching football thinking, why are they not shooting? Why why did why do players not shoot anymore? Like from the outside of the area or from because when Rice was in that position, I thought he's going to cut this back. And as soon as he had a shot, then it goes in the back of the net because it hits someone. And I think that that's it doesn't happen as much as it should do. Players shooting and and thinking it can hit anybody and end up in the back of the net. But um, yeah, sort of the momentum shift and the the celebrations. And I turn around and the, all the United fans had gone home. And it's just like after celebrating like that and having your goal disallowed and then seeing the Arsenal fans celebrate is just too much to bear. I think. And will that? I mean, that disallowed goal for Ganacho. It was a lovely move. Hoyland, who looked really good. Good, sort of pivotal in it 
It was a really calm finish. And, and Jake asks, do you enjoy seeing defenders now fully aware of the VAR lines? Gabriel's hop forward exactly as the pass was played through to Garnacho, something you wouldn't have seen a few years ago. I don't know if that's true, but it did look like he sort of, he got all the parts of his body that, that, that you know, are, are valid for offside in front of the line and then kept a little bit of his elbow or something behind. It was quite, it was a little bit of a dance. He's, to be fair, I thought he put his head far too far back, so he was pushing the line a bit further than, it, than he could have. He was what he should have done was limbo backwards. That would have been the more sensible yes, option. Right, so maybe that's something for training this week for Arteta. You know, with the players that are left over from the international break. I'm happy to come in as a coach. I'm available. I, I've got my own limbo stick. Are you good at limbo? Oh, I think we can all accept, Max. You can see me here. I must be bloody brilliant. Something for the Manchester live show as we limbo you on before your anecdote. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Bass has already been texting me about the limbo regardless of before this conversation. He's he's a he's a master himself. But um, yeah, he's, he's obviously clearly aware of the, the lines and the concept and trying to make himself straight, even though he was failing. So, you know, evolution would indicate that, he, you know, he might be able to move that concept further along in the weeks, um, Gabriel. But yeah, it it was good from United. That that was the you know their spell came unfortunately after about sort of seventy seventy five minutes. Before that, they weren't really there. And the problem United had in the end was that despite they you know did some good through passes for the Rashford goal from Eriksson and the the pass there for Ganacho to latch onto, it didn't really, you know didn't really have enough moments. And they actually tired was one of their problems, and they didn't adapt. So like Rice at the back post was a problem all game. Just a man stood there at the six foot odd, just stood at the back post, and then no one closed him down. I know they complain about the Johnny Evans being manhandled, but Harry Maguire was quite close. He could have ran, put a bit of pressure on. So I think United's problem is that. You know, Arsenal were bringing on a lot of good, quick players into the into the action, whereas United were going with Maguire, Evans. You know, it, it's, it wasn't wasn't the best um, for them at the Just back. One step away from Gary Pallister being brought on, wasn't it? That was the next possible change for Ten. Did see Brucey was saying last week that he's looking for a new challenge, and you know, <laughs> this could be this could be the one for him. Still trying to get that England cap. Um, so yeah, United. I think the problem is at the moment the squad isn't deep enough. Obviously, they've got Amrabat coming in, which will help in midfield because you know they look very, very leggy in the end. And you know, Casemiro is a sort of one-man band in in there, and I suspect he's going to really suffer this season if it carries on like this. You know, he doesn't look like he's at at the races completely and you know his five bookings this season might come on quite quite soon and his 10 bookings not long after that but yeah yeah I say there's some positives for United Hoyland came on and looked good Ganacho again shows that he could start Rashford apart from the goal wasn't great and you know it'd be interesting to see how they can get Rashford and Ganacho into the team working out who plays where because I think Ganacho would rather play on the left so Rashford doesn't really want to play anywhere else than the left so that'd be an interesting conundrum but yeah you can take the positives out of out of Ganacho and Hoyland and give some some vague hope that they they competed with a, a good team like Arsenal for you know, 90 odd minutes Barry was this a game where Arsenal's midfield worked or was was Havertz not quite at it again as we established the other week a brilliant footballer but there's no place for him anywhere on a football pitch I, I thought Arsenal's midfield worked quite well I mean Declan Rice was the standout player uh, I think 
Havertz was involved in a lot of the moments you speak of, and I think fans of his could say that he played quite well, and his detractors could also point to various things, uh, saying that he, he made mistakes, and obviously he was involved in that penalty decision, which, you know, Ten Hag was complaining about everything going against United uh, after the game. I think that's the very much a decision that went in their favour. That's not what VAR was intended to be used for. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. I've seen it several times. I don't know. I still don't know whether or not it was a penalty, but you couldn't say for certain that it it wasn't. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. Uh, Havertz, he was good in spots in this game, but he, he wasn't perfect. He gave the ball away at critical moments. But, um, yeah, the the jury will remain out on him, I suppose. Have you listened to Arteta's analogies? He he he, he sort of likened um, Havertz um, fitting into his team as he met his wife. And first of all, she wasn't convinced. And then the, the more that they were together, the more that she fitted into. And that's what he, that's, he's actually related that with Havertz getting into the Arsenal team. And did, did anybody listen to that afterwards? That's what that's that was his quote. I've seen the quote and it sounded slightly sinister. <laughs> yes, it say. did. That, so I tried to make it sound a little bit fluffier than that. But he, he basically <laughs> sort of said, "Well, straight away, you're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna work straight away." Or she's not. What was the? I, I don't know. What was the word that he used, Barry? And it was a very sinister. But... And he said, "Conquer," wasn't it? Conquer. After, that's the it. Word conquer. Yeah, not the conquer you get out he, he, of the tree. He basically like... wore her down. <laughs> Yes, yeah. and then he sort of said, said about people have been questioning his um, tactics, and he was sort of saying, you know, when I set off from home, um, I don't. Oh, and do you know what? I actually agree with it. It's really well explained. He was basically saying it doesn't always go the same way to work because of different things happening, different days, the different traffic, and so that basically saying that football is not that clear. So certain games against certain opposition, he's going to play a certain way with certain players, and and he and he sort of he sort of likened that to his drive to work, which is quite interesting. Hmm. Things are hard at the beginning. When I met my wife, at the beginning, it was hard to conquer her. It was hard. I had to try and message her and go and go. Yeah. Um, Conquer. Oh, God. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's speaking in his second language. I I think I know, we know what he meant. Yes. Yeah. Jaden Sancho's interesting. Ten Hag said, look, based on performance in training, we didn't select him. You have to reach that level every day at Man United. That's why in this game he wasn't selected. Jaden Sancho said, please don't believe everything you read. I'll not allow people saying things that are completely untrue. I've conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. All I want to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team. I respect all the decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and I'm grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I'll continue to fight for this badge no matter what. Let, Lucy, you have the best knowledge of what it must be like for those players who aren't getting into the team. and But it doesn't sound like you should go on social media and say my manager isn't being honest here. Yeah, I mean, the, the the thing about social media now, it it, it it's good in terms of it gives the because he will have been absolutely fuming, Sancho, that that he wasn't in the squad to start with, and then for his manager to say that. Now, there's always two sides to to to, to every story, and I wouldn't suspect that Ten Hag's is is exactly right, and and Sancho's isn't exactly right. Um, but obviously, something has happened within the training ground where. 
he's not happy with something that Sancho has done, therefore he's not put him in the squad. And then, but then he's insinuated that he's not training properly. And I think for a player, that is not a good look. So that I think that is the the one reason why Sancho has, has responded, basically saying, actually, there's more to it than me not training properly or not training at the, at the level. So that I, that's not good either because Manchester United, they don't tend to let things out like that, of the, of the things don't tend to get out of the training ground like that. So that that's a bit of a worry for Ten Hag as well. Yeah, and it's just a shame for everyone because Sancho was just so good at Dortmund and we, we haven't seen it yet. Um, Pretty active transfer deadline day for Man United. Reguillon's coming on loan as an emergency left-back. Johnny Evans, we mentioned Amrabat as well. Um, Reports from the Mail on Sunday that Manchester United are now off the market. The Glazers will look to sell in 2025 in a move that is to delight fans and everybody who really wants to hear that story go on and on and on. And uh, Mason Greenwood has gone to Getafe on loan. It was inevitable, I guess, that he was going to go somewhere. Uh, It it felt jarring when it happened and the social media post was really quite odd. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how he is received in in matches. We're going to get Sid on soon to talk about that. Let's go to Turf Moor. Burnley 2, Spurs 5, a very 1960s scoreline. Will, you were there to witness Ange Ball live. Have you ever seen football like it? Well, you know, I, I miss most of it having fainted after the second goal. So, so sort of Ange Ball it is. Um, yeah, Spurs played incredibly well. Um, I would have to say they were helped quite a lot by Burnley having little to no shape or formation allowing as much space to anyone that fancied it, from Pedro Porro to James Madison to Son. But yes, Burnley couldn't cope with the pressing, the speed. You know, they tired quite quickly. They had to make changes at half-time. It was going you know, pretty badly for them, even though they took the lead in the fourth minute, which was, it was all downhill from there for them. But yeah, Spurs look good. Madison looks excellent, you know, in that number 10 role. Sun playing centrally was, you know, as clinical as you like. Every goal was, you know, just looked effortless. You know, the dink, the two finishes in the second half inside the box. So it was very exciting to see. Um, yeah, good on Ange Ball. He, he didn't seem particularly happy after the match. You know, I thought he might crack a smile, but he uh, was uh, pretty keen to get back to London, I guess. Um, but yeah, they were very good. I think they'll do very well as long as they keep this you know, level of intensity up, which is helped by their lack of distractions elsewhere, which will be useful. Um, yeah, Burnley, I thought I was at the City game on the opening night and I thought they'd be OK. But they look really, really mediocre. In, at the back, they tried to pass it out for the back, it just didn't look good enough. And, you know, I, you know, I sent a WhatsApp photo to the, to the group before the before the match on Saturday, I was taking my two year old to a football class, and their defence was equally well organised, um, which was a concern. Company said afterwards that it's easier to organise the defence, sort the defensive issues out than it is creating chances. But I don't think they created many chances, much to you know, much to his chagrin, and he claimed otherwise. But yeah, I think they need to sort themselves out. I thought it was an interesting thing, Lucy, for for Postecoglou is he is the quality of players that he's worked working with has sort of improved every job he's gone to and so it's quite it must be interesting for him to say well this is even though lots of people said before the season that this Spurs squad wasn't great actually this is the best set of players he's ever worked with and they are and they're clearly quick learners and so it must be really fun for him to see to see how far they can go yeah I, do you know what I I did I love Postacoglu and I, I, I did my 
TNT Sport Pundit Predictions and it, they put it on Instagram and I got absolutely vilified by everybody for saying that he will be manager of the year and Spurs will be the surprise um, package of, of the season. But there's just something about, you're right, He's he, he is able to, and this is all about relationships, he is able to connect with every single player and wherever he's gone, that's what he's done. So he's very tactically astute. So, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a coach who's developed his style over, over the years. But because he can connect and he takes the players along with him, that just adds about sort of 25, 30% to, to, to what he's doing. And I just love the fact um, that he's come and, and everybody sort of, everybody was a bit snobby about him before he got to Celtic and then even more about him coming into, into the Premier League. But if you could get that relationship with players, and you can see it, Madison, like he is playing now, and all it is sometimes is just putting an arm around these players and telling them that this is what I want you to do. This is and Son, so Son had been struggling scoring. He puts him in the middle, and and he's made him captain. And I, I just, I, I, you know, there's not really sort of, I'd run out of good things to say about Postecoglou, to be honest. And um, I think you're right in terms of the the quality of the squad that he's got now. He must just be laughing to himself because he can sort of develop them in the way um, that he wants playing the way that he wants it will always work out the way that he plays doesn't always work out but because the players are obviously responding and understand it they're all very very astute and uh, it's working really really well and the players that that was sort of slagged off last year and Porro and people like that are just absolutely brilliant unbelievable interesting sort of Madison story that came out from Matt Law on the Telegraph saying that Chelsea refused to sign anyone over 25. So they didn't pursue, pursue Madison because he's 26 years old. Which seems quite an arbitrary line to draw. Like he's not an old man. Is he? He's 26. It seems quite young. But I, you know, I, I, he is in the perfect space at the moment because they're building the team around him. Brennan Johnson comes in, which I, which Barry's interesting. To, Richarlison didn't even start, and I suppose that's an interesting question: is what would happen to him? I don't think Postecoglou fancies him particularly. Uh, no, and it's not difficult to see why he, when he has been playing this season, he's played looked like a man who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He doesn't seem like a, a natural, instinctive goal scorer. Um. He's interestingly he scored midweek in one of the few positives to emerge from that defeat in the Carabao Cup against Fulham, and then was dropped to the bench. Uh, maybe he was injured. I don't know. You'd have thought, oh, he scored. He'll be confident. He's because Richarlison is very much a confidence player, and let's leave him in, and hopefully he'll score again. But uh, I can see him being used as a sub and eventually phased out. He he may spit the dummy at some point and not get enough game time. Uh, Burnley have um, already lost as many matches as they did last season um, when they won the championship. It's a very strange, different experience for a fan, isn't it, to just win every game and then lose every game. We touched on Chelsea not by Madison. They did uh, sign a few other players. Ryan says, should Chelsea have strengthened in the transfer window? I'm still here for those gags. Um, Kim, a Chelsea purposefully trying not to qualify for European competition so they don't have to comply with UEFA's FFP. Um, well, a brilliant performance from Forrest, this. They were so bad away from home last year. A one year was just unplayable, I thought, in this game. Yeah, you look at and say they were terrible. <laughs> last season away from home, only beating Southampton, who were obviously awful. And this season... Obviously, lost against Arsenal, lost against United, but very close games and 
you know, should have got something out of United at least. And it shows the evolution of the side that, you know, it is improving. They're all a good age. And, you know, Owen is the, you know, the focal point of all that. He was, came in last summer and Cooper didn't really fancy him early on, wasn't getting straight into the team, took a while, you know, got a few goals, shinning him in and whatnot. And his confidence grew and his role in the team grew. And, you know, Cooper realised that he had to make him that number nine, play to his strengths rather than, you know, work around what Cooper thought was the ideal centre-forward role. And he's been excellent. And obviously he's been scoring this season at the end of last season, whereas... On Saturday, he was the man that created the goal for Anthony Alanga, who's who was another smart, you know, signing in the window for them. The sort of player they should be going for, and they looked very comfortable against Chelsea. Which, again, Forrest did excellent, but you know, if you're Chelsea at home, you feel you should be doing a bit better and causing a few more problems. And you know, Forrest should have been struggling towards the end, but it, there wasn't much of that. Um, and obviously, you mentioned Chelsea's lack of interest in players over 25 when one of their most mature players, Thiago Silva, spent the weekend arguing with fans on Instagram over his performance, uh, Chelsea's performance. That was, you know, maybe they maybe they just want the young people to know how to use social media instead of these, these old guys. Astonishingly, Barry, nobody has messaged to say, um, would Barry have scored Nicholas Jackson's uh, miss? Presumably because he would have scored it because it was... I, he didn't even need to do what he did. I mean, I think he would have scored if he just run into them. If he just carried on running and it had hit him, it had probably gone in. Well, just clanked in off his shins. Yeah, it was a really yeah. bad miss. And Chelsea's pretty much their only chance of the game. I think Conor Gallagher curled a shot wide from distance. Uh, Enzo Flanzes shot over the bar from distance. But otherwise... Forrest kept them very much at arm's length. They were reduced to passing sideways, passing backwards. And I kind of just presumed Maurizio Pochettino would whip this rabble into shape. And obviously it's very early days, but losing at home to Forrest, whose away record last season was so, so bad, that's not great. And now Chelsea fans have a fortnight to stew on it. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I still think Pochettino, I have faith in him, but how long will the owners keep faith with him? That's the million dollar question. It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah, it's a bit like, I think it was Nadem saying last year that you just looked at the starting 11 and went, well, they're all good. So Chelsea (laughs) will be fine. And it sort of feels the same, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know when, I don't know when will crisis begins. Is this crisis now or not? Oh, I guess every defeat in the Premier League is a crisis when you're supposed to be going for the top four. You have to accept that they have had a massive turnover in players. You know, there's only been four games. Crisis probably, I don't know, should we do an official sort of crisis date and then we can come back to it? Let's say November the 17th. Right, OK. November the 17th. If Chelsea has, has still only beaten Luton at home, um, then yeah, it's all kicked in. Yeah, it's going to take time. They shouldn't be as bad as they were, but we have to accept that Pochettino's got a lot of new players, new club. Also, you know, a lot of players probably that have been there a long time that have been shipped out. So there's not much stability, and I'm sure the owners have got plenty of thoughts on on the matter and whatnot, which obviously adds a bit more uncertainty to the to the organisation. But as I say, I think Pochettino is the sort of person that's not going to take too much rubbish from the players and whatnot 
So yeah, let's let's come back in November and then we can really really stick the boot in if they are still crap. Producer Joel notes that November the seventeenth is a poor choice as it's a Friday. Um, it, can we move it to the twentieth? It's also an international break, so we will have stuff to talk about. So happy to do the uh, the Chelsea. It'll still crisis be a crisis. Give us some talk about Inter Milan. So we're sorted. Um, a word on on Joe Worrell, who was brilliant for Forest uh, um, after losing his uncle this week in very tragic circumstances. Sergeant Graham Savile, response officer based at Newark Police Station, died on Tuesday, five days after he was hit by a train on the railway lines in Balderton. Uh, he'd been left critically injured while responding to concern for the welfare of a man on the line um so uh, quite astonishing that he managed to get on the pitch and play so well i know football can be an escape for a lot of people and perhaps it was for him but um uh, definitely worth a mention and uh, that'll do for part one back in a second dein podcast macht kurz pause hate speech dagegen hört nicht so einfach auf Wer hat dir überhaupt erlaubt zu reden, Schlampe? Verzieh dich in die Küche, bevor ich herausfinde, wo du wohnst und dir... Dir persönlich Danke sage. Hör nicht auf die Hater. Du machst einen richtig guten Job. Und wir stehen alle hinter dir. Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're going on tour, starting in London uh, at the Troxy uh, in the East End on the 13th of November. Uh, Ellis James, Troy Townsend and Philippe O'Claire coming to that. Tickets still available. Bristol, Mark Langdon, Jordan, Jarrett, Bryan, a sellout. Um, also includes a Bristolian guest star. Uh, Manchester, John Brewer, Nader Manuha and the Will Unwin anecdote, also featuring Limbo. Uh, tickets still available. 20th in Dublin, Lars and Wilson uh, sold out. 21st, uh, tickets still available. And a few left in Brighton, Nicky Bandini and Johnny Lou. That is being streamed around the world. So uh, wherever you are listening to this, you can come. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. We also have a book out, guardianbookshop.com slash football, including all our favourite panellists, except Lucy. It's Barry's fault. I can't believe it. What I happened? cannot believe I it. I'm not. In fact, I can't even believe I've said that I've come on today. I forgot I all about that. I'm not being invited to the tour, and I have not even. <laughs> We're not playing Leeds. Can you, Barry? I don't know what We're you're not laughing Leeds. at. You would obviously been invited to Leeds, but I. Uh, yeah, we've been to Leeds no, before. That's true. You? I wasn't last time. Well, exactly. Whose fault is who's, right? See you who, later. Um, whose fault is it that Lucy's not in the book? I'm blaming Wilson. Uh, it gives us a good reason to write a sequel. Says uh, um, producer Joel. Yeah, it's it's Jonathan Wilson's fault. Yes, Will. Oh, actually, hang on, Barry. Will's not in the book either, I think. is a... Lucy, <laughs> Lucy, I'm in Manchester. Should we do a sort of renegade tour? Yeah. yeah. We can do our own, we do we do our our own, own tour, tour in the, of the north, the forgotten north. Is anyone north. else in the book? Is, is anyone <laughs> yeah. in the book? I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Just, your Just 100 pages of John Bruin. Drawn exactly. by David Squires. That's all it exactly. is. Exactly. We've got one Different picture of Bruins, and then it's just, it's just a few pages from Inverting the Pyramid. But anyway, if you want to buy it, go to guardianbookshop.com slash football to the Amex, Brighton 3, Newcastle 1. Lucas says, does anyone know what Evan Ferguson wrote his thesis on? Um, and Dan says, Barry's thoughts on Evan Ferguson when he discovers his English grandparents to qualify him for England and Euro 2024. A word on Ireland's newest favourite son, Barry. He was so good in this game. He was brilliant. He has everything... For an 18-year-old, um, seems very even-tempered, nice lad, down-to-earth. He's got 
movement, awareness, touch, good at linking up. Uh, he's good when a defender is tight on him. He's good when that defender, I think in this case, Dan Byrne, realises he's getting schooled and drops off him and then gets schooled again, but in a different way. And I'm really worried <laughs> that England are going to try and nick him because as far as I can tell, uh, that's still a possibility. He's played three competitive games for the Republic of Ireland and the FIFA rules on eligibility state no more you can tr change if you've played no more than three. Now, my maths aren't great, but I think no more than three is four. So until he lines up against France this week, I'm going to be sweating because I'm sure Gareth uh, Southgate has his best men and women on the, the case. But he, yeah, he scored his first senior hat-trick. He was obviously delighted. Newcastle were abysmal in this game. Their full backs were bad. They couldn't get a foothold in midfield. Bruno Jimenez isn't performing this season so far. And I I said last week that I could see the fans turning on Eddie Howe if they lost this game. And some of them have, albeit, you know, internet fans. But there does seem to be a sign that some Newcastle fans are starting to get pissed off with their new ownership insofar as this Amazon documentary that's on at the moment is... I don't know if any of you have seen it. It is diabolical. It is just so bad. A piece of schmaltzy propaganda in which Eddie Howe and his players are very much moved out of the spotlight. So the owners, uh, Amanda Staveley and her husband and the CEO, Darren Eels, and the chief commercial officer, Pete Silverstone, can all hug the limelight and clap each other on the back. I think, you know, that, that they're coming across very Brentish in this. And apparently there are problems with ticket distribution at Newcastle. There was lo the They sold out their allocation for the away end at Brighton, but there was loads of empty seats in the away end. Uh, that might be down to train strikes. It might be down to fans buying tickets but not going just to keep their points up, uh, loyalty points. Um, and it, But there seems to be a view that it's also, some of it's down to ineptitude in the ticket office. Uh, so the, I think there's problems with ticketing at home games and away games. And some Newcastle fans, I think, and I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong, and I'm sure I will be because they're never slow about correcting me even when I'm right. Some of them are coming around to the way of thinking that, oh, maybe these new owners we love so much don't really give a fuck about us. Mm. I mean, three defeats in four, like, like results matter, Lucy. That's the key, right? And losing three of your first four, albeit difficult games, um, is a problem because expectations for fans can change so dramatically quickly. Yeah, because last season they really enjoyed it because no, nobody expected them to do it. Their own fans didn't expect them to do as well. Now, as soon as that happens and it's so difficult to replicate that sort of, sort of season, expectations have already changed with Newcastle and Newcastle fans have got carried away, as you would do if you would had to endure what Newcastle fans had done prior to that. So they're expecting more and they're not quite up to that. So it'd be interesting to see what happens after the international break if they if they keep doing this, because the pressure will be on um, Eddie Howe, and, and that's and that just shows how how quickly things change in football. Just just on Evan Ferguson, I, I, I saw a couple of things on on the internet on Twitter. 
where they were holding up the, the comment that he made about his dad watching him play. And it was like, oh, he just used to just stand in the corner with his hood up, not saying anything, ever saying, this is what parents should be like. Now, the reason why Ferguson's dad was sat, stood in the corner, not saying anything, is because his his lad was the best player in the group probably all the way through. Now, if you're a parent of a best player in the group, you don't need to shout to your kid because the the, uh, the the club will move heaven and earth and be as nice as possible to you all the way through. They're in the academy to make sure that he signs a professional contract. That's that's how it works. So I think um, it was used as an example of how you should be as a parent. But sometimes when you're a parent of a kid who might not be making it and might not be getting the next contract, that's when you get a little bit agitated and might be shouting things from the sideline. But I did laugh at that. Like it was, um, he doesn't need to say anything because his lad's the best one in the group. Yeah, he's such a. I mean, just one more for Evan Ferguson. Will he, I mean, like that second goal. I mean, it, it, I said it in the intro, but I've, it feels he feels Harry Kane like. I mean, I perhaps perhaps a bit more physical and a, not quite as subtle, but like he's got those attributes. As Deserby said, you know, I want him to be a number nine in the box, number ten out of the box. Like it looks like he can do both those things, and there aren't many players who can yeah. do that. Well, I'm also starting to suspect that he's in a WhatsApp group with Jack Grealish and Declan Rice, Barry, so... <laughs> <laughs> just, just having a nice chat. It was interesting, so I, I was coming back from Burnley when it was on the radio, and James Collins was on COCOMS, and he was saying that his style of running and physicality reminded him a lot of Rooney, so if we can get Rooney and Kane together in that England under nine shit, what a what a treat for Gareth Southgate, Baz. Um, yeah, he's, he's, see, he scores lots of goals from different angles, different places, or, you know, always seems to have the better of the centre-back. No one's going to like playing against him. And he's he can do the bit as the number 10. He's got those qualities, so... He's a cr- cracking striker. He's going to make Brighton a lot of money in a couple of years. They don't need; they're under no pressure to sell him. He's you know, still a teenager, and it's good news for Brighton and further testament to their recruitment and scouting that they can pick up players like this. And they're going to go from strength to strength because of it this season. That you know they might have lost midfielders, but once you've got a striker like that of that quality, you can <laughs> take chances at a moment's notice from. You know, anywhere in the final third, you know, it's uh, going to be an incredible effort to to keep hold of him. You know, probably I suspect they'll get another two seeds out of him. But you know, what a what a price tag he's building for himself. Erling Haaland also scored a hat trick. Uh, sort of less spectacular news because he does it quite a lot. And, and actually, look, City beat Fulham five one. So it seems weird that the big talking point is a VAR call, Barry. But it was at a pivotal moment in the game. And I just cannot, I cannot understand how this goal has been given. Ake heads it, Akanji literally jumps out the way of the ball. So Bert Leno, he can't do anything until until Akanji decided whether he's going to jump out the way or not. Yeah, well, look, everyone seems unanimous in saying that the goal should have been disallowed. It was one all at the time. And I think the awarding of the goal, uh, Fulham's players, their heads definitely dropped. Look, they probably lost anyway, but... At the time, it was a crucial point in the game, just before half-time, if I remember correctly. And quite how the ref and the VAR officials arrived at that decision, I, I have no idea. Only they know. But as I said to you yesterday, Max, if you are debating whether or not a player, an offside player was interfering with play, then he was interfering with play. The very fact that it's a matter for debate confirms he was interfering with play so but they in their wisdom decided he wasn't but 
Marco Silva was rightfully furious, but uh, his team went on to lose 5-1, so probably wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference anyway. But I, I just cannot understand the thinking behind that decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't get booked, which is the first time he hasn't got booked this season. He did say afterwards, people who've never played football and know nothing about football. You sort of think, fair enough, Lucy. I mean, it, it was such a bad call. I absolutely agree with that. And I do think it was Michael Oliver, the ref, wasn't it? I do think if Michael Oliver had gone over and seen it, it had just, it, he would have, he would have, um, if they made him have a look at it, he would have just gone, do you know what? That is, it cannot possibly be a goal. Because even if, even if it's not a conscious thought for the goalkeeper, the fact that his, his vision sees it, he, it, it affects how he, how he dives. And it's like, how can you, and, and, and I've seen somebody, um, Try and expl- referee trying to explain it on um, on Twitter, and it's like, well, he wasn't in the eye line. Well, he he is in the eye line of the the goalkeeper because you could see see him, and it obviously affects what, like you said, Max, it affects what the goalkeeper does. Um, but that is it. If you if you haven't played or not, don't mu- know much about football, and you look read of the rules, you'd say, oh yeah, he wasn't in his line of vision, so therefore it, it, it wasn't offside. But you just know if you play that it just puts people off and it affects how the goalkeeper. It, it really annoyed me, and I and I completely agreed with um, Silver when he was sort of ranting about that. I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need a referee to ask if Manuel Akanji was in his eye line. You just need to put Manuel. You just need a person <laughs> to put Manuel Akanji two yards in front of any human and say, can you see Manuel Akanji? <laughs> they will all say, they will all say, yes, I can see Manuel Akanji. He's there. I, even if they don't know who Manuel Akanji is, they will say, well, I don't know who he is, but there is a man there. They could even ask him, he's that close. Are you Manuel Akanji? <laughs> yes, I am. In which case, that's the person I can see. You, you know things are bad when the opposition are saying, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a goal, yeah. it was offside. You know, Erling Haaland, a striker England let through their grasp, which we cannot let happen with Evan Ferguson, I should say. Yeah, good. Born, born in Leeds. But yeah, when the oppo- when, when the opposition say it afterwards, yeah, that's not a goal. You've really got... Maybe the officials have to start questioning themselves. And, and yeah, it does ring true Silver's words that if, if you haven't played the game to a suitable level, that you, you probably shouldn't be uh, making those calls as incompetently as you are. Uh, Paulinho didn't feature for Fulham because he had that deadline day deal fall through where he was in Munich. He'd done all the, I'm wearing the shirt, I've done my video. And then because Hoiberg wouldn't go to Fulham, then Fulham wouldn't sell Paulinho, which is totally fair enough. But God, you'd be a bit sad if you were Paulinho. He's a wonderful footballer. So hopefully they can get his head right and back playing for Fulham this season. Um, at Liverpool 3, Aston Villa 0. Liverpool are good, Lucy, aren't they? I think I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd written them off this season. I can't remember where I put them, but you know, Shobazlai looks great. Obviously, we'll have to spend twenty five minutes talking about how good Trent Alexander Arnold is at passing the ball. They just attack with pace. The midfield is is starting to click, and Villa, who were fancied, were just blown away. Yeah, th- th- this is just like I mean, Klopp is is so elite, and I, and I think that. The, the the players that he signed um, last year, so Nunez and and them just settling in, that that makes a difference as well. Salah always plays well, so you know what to expect from him. I think revamping the midfields, a little bit of legs in there, and um, you know even defensively they they, they didn't have Van Dijk, but they still. But I, as far as Villa are concerned, I think they struggled against 
Newcastle's high line, they struggled against Liverpool's high line, but then they've sort of dominated in other games. So I think that's something Unai Emery needs to, to sort of work out, that there's a little bit of a theme there in terms of the way that they've lost to, to Newcastle and, and to Liverpool. But Sorry, do you, do you mean... Do you mean- They've struggled with the opposition's high line, or their high line has been a. No, no, they, they, yeah, they struggle with the opposition's. They, they've struggled with the opposition's high line because obviously that's what the, the, they both play. So, I, I think that that Emery, I do like Emery, I do like Villa. I think they don't do more good than than bad, but uh, I just think Liverpool sort of completely dominated. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because they also play a high line. I'm getting very high liney, but but. And it seems so obvious, Baz, that Liverpool just went, oh, I could just dink it over the top there and Nunes will sprint through or Salah will or whoever just fancies going for a jog. Yeah, um, they're hugely susceptible to balls over the top and Trent Alexander-Arnold was like Tom Brady yesterday, pinging inch-perfect passes, hither and yon for people to chase. And that was a problem for Villa against Newcastle as well, as I recall, Um or did Lucy just say the exact same? Am I just parroting what Lucy <laughs> said? Yeah. Thanks for listening, Baz. Thanks um, for listening. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate it. Look, all you were every time I turned on my telly over the summer, you were on it, and I had to listen to you. So you know, sorry for tuning out on this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the Darrow Breen of football co coms. Yeah. Stop direct messaging me to tell me as well. And uh, a big slow hand clap for the Premier League on this one. Um, I have three different subscriptions to watch Premier League football that cost well over £1,000 a year. And the only way I could have watched this match, I only saw highlights of this, the only way I could have watched this match live like yesterday was by going to it, which wasn't an option, or by using an illegal fire stick. Um, so yeah, that that's just ludicrous. But I suppose it's not really pertinent to the game itself. No, I mean you could move to Australia. Uh, I could, yes. You can watch it, yes. Uh, Liverpool turned down a hundred and fifty million pound bid for Mo Salah from El Etihad. Um, Klopp said afterwards, "I never had any doubt about his commitment to this club. You can't imagine how much fuss the world has made, but how calm we are with it. He is our player, and he wants to play here." Saudi Arabia could come back and offer 200 or 250 or 300. They appear to, the, the league itself, not just that club, appear to want him to be the face of it. So it'll be fascinating to see. And and as far as I understand, Saudi Arabia, they haven't totally decided when their transfer window closes, presumably just after they've got Mo Salah. Which yeah. the right time. On the subject of Saudi Arabia, have you seen Jordan Henderson's tweet? So after, uh, who's it he plays for? Al Fat, is it? After their latest win, he he tweeted, or he, it was very much a say something like footballer's tweet. Uh, A long tweet in Arabic, followed by in English. Great win. Looking forward to meeting up with the lads now. The lads being the England lads. But if you, I think Jordan didn't realise there's a, a translate button, which readers, curious readers can hit. And that says, so when great win, uh, or what he's, claimed was great win uh, was the kingdom of Saudi Arabia the hospitality of the hosts the enthusiasm of the fans the exciting league and the irreplaceable sense of victory next is better so yeah that that's why Jordan's getting the big bucks it's tragic (laughs) absolutely tragic I really hope England put him up for a press conference during the week but I I guarantee you it won't happen. 
Well, look, it was quite interesting that Southgate kind of, Barney wrote quite a good piece, didn't he, about Southgate just finally saying, oh, what do you want me to say? I don't know what to say. You know, like, like, who, like Gareth has been, Gareth Southgate has been really good as a sort of statesman talking about these things. Look, we'll have more time tomorrow. We've got a mailbag and we've got an international yeah. preview. Well, Jordan was as well, so both of them. But look, I mean, I mean uh, you know, Gareth Southgate has yet to go to Saudi Arabia and been paid a billion pounds a week and he's not sort of tweeting PR statements in Arabic yet. Um, anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three will begin with that cracker as we predicted at Bramall Lane. Guys, pop culture is returning on Thursday, the 14th of September. You will also have the chance to attend the show's very first live event. I will be at the London Podcast Show on Sunday, the 17th of September. And joining me is a matchmaking expert, you know, Married at First Sight's very own Paul C. Brunson. Purchase your tickets to be in the room or on the live stream at kingsplace.co.uk forward slash pop culture. Bye. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Full hand, he said, could we listen to your preview of Sheffield United v Everton again, please? I did suggest it might be the worst game of football ever. Uh, Lucy, you were there. It wasn't. It was really fun. Yeah, it was. I, I, do you know what? I actually predicted prior to it that it would be a little bit exciting because both of them really struggled defensively. Um, yeah, they both struggled in front of goal, but obviously the other one being rubbish defensively meant that you'd probably have more chance of scoring. And it actually ended up like that. I think Sheffield United fans were really, they, they sort of were going for it before kickoff. And then as soon as it started and Everton were a little bit stronger, they were sort of a little bit worried because you know, when you get into the Premier League, you have to rely on your your home form, and the Blades at Bramall Lane usually use the crowd, and that didn't seem to be working. But then, and I do like Beto. I, I do like Beto. I think that he will be an option. I think he's got. I think there's just something about him where he's not bothered whether he makes a mistake or not. He just keeps going, and I think that's that. He's the sort of leader up front that Everton fans have to grasp hold of. Um, but uh, yeah, that both looked slightly dodgy defensively I think that there's a little bit of of um the free kick that was given outside the box by the referee for Everton that that he was he was sort of manhandled but he was manhandled into the box and I think that the law say that if you if if the pull starts outside the area but continues into the area it's a penalty and the referee VAR didn't really look at that um so I think Everton fans weren't happy but I think the scored straight after that I think Sheffield United I think Gamron Archer great great um Debut for them, continue scoring goals. I think Ollie McBurney was brilliant. I think that he he just makes me laugh. Ollie, he was a he, he was a player at Leeds that we released. Ollie, great great kid, and he's used sort of like the releases that he's had, and and he's just sort of found his way to his level of the Premier League, and it's just great to see to, to see a young lad do that. Um, but you know, throwback like shin pads down near his ankles, socks mm. down. His, He's the modern day Steve Claridge, isn't he? And actually, that that was brilliant target man play, like two touches. He brought it in, he laid it off. Arch, it was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah, and he probably could have got the winner as well, as it wasn't been hasn't been for for Pickford and his saves. And did you, have you seen the sort of the little meme from Pickford where he looks at the Bramall Lane crowd behind after he'd saved that and sort of give the sort of chef's kiss <laughs> about how good his save was, knowing full well that he'd stopped his team from. Sort of losing losing a point at that particular stage, but yeah, it was exciting. It was a it, it was a it was a, a good game to do. Sal says, "Does the Pickford own goal settle the debate of a shot on target or not on target 
if the ball hits the woodwork, the Troy Townsend theory. Uh, I'm being rhetorical, says Sal. Shit's on target, Townsend. He's obviously a, 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 a Troy Townsend acolyte there. But there's a similar one in the Villa game, wasn't there, where Matty Cash... Um... Darwin Nunes hit the post and Matty yeah. Cash, the ball went in off Matty Cash. Yeah, it was. Although that, if it hits the post and then goes in off a defender like Matty Cash, then the shot is not on target. But if it hits the post and hits the keeper, it feels like it is on target to get even more confusing. <laughs> I will have to ask Troy when he's not uh, when he's next on. But yeah, brilliant. Uh, brilliant save from Dawn Pickford at the end. Uh, to Selhurst Park, Palace 3, Wolves 2. Uh, seven points from opening four games, Barry. Who were we to ever doubt Roy or to find it funny when he took that job? I thought they were great and I thought Wolves were bad in this. Did you think they were terrible? I mean, the, the scoreline doesn't do Crystal Palace's dominance justice. I think they were, if you only saw the score, you would think it was a very, very close game and it probably wasn't. But I, I didn't think Wolves were terrible. Palace uh, have some... Very good players. Uh, Eberiti Eze is superb. And uh, Joel Ward's still there, providing wonderful assists. Um, his long ball, or no, it was, it was Mateta provided the two assists, but Joel Ward was instrumental in Palace's second goal. And yeah, Wolves' third was a kind of a consolation, the very last minute of added time, uh, Kuna's header. But yeah, I, I didn't think Wolves were that bad I don't know I felt well they were just sort of very passive especially for that third goal it was a lovely goal but it looked like they were just knackered and were just stat- like they were sort of like training cones yeah well they've not got much of a squad obviously you lose Nunes you've lost most of your midfield over the summer you know things are in flux new manager new ideas I think probably playing with a bit more intensity than they planned in pre-season under Le Petigui, which might be causing some problems now that they're not at the fitness levels that Gary O'Neill would like, which will be interesting to see long term, and you know whether it's a bit going to be a bit intensive for the players that are left over on the international break. Obviously, Wolves—they scored two goals in a game, so that's pretty good for them. They only scored thirty-one in thirty-eight last season, so you know take the positives for them. Um, hopefully, when uh, the strikers get get a bit more confidence, they might be able to score. Fabio Silva still looks a bit insipid in the Premier League. Um, the big lad. Sasa, um, you know he's he was out for the whole last season of injury, but he does look dangerous when he's made his cameos so far. So if they, if they can get more than you know half an hour or so out of him at some point, they might be all right. The upside for Wolves are some pretty awful teams down there. You know, Sheffield United Everton was a very entertaining game, but it was a Championship game. Let's be honest. Um, so yeah, you know, Wolves. Hopefully, a bit of time under a new manager, things will click and they'll be all right. Uh, Brentford drew two two with Bournemouth. A lovely moment for David Brooks scoring his first Premier League goal since recovering from uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, Barry, you are still our resident Bournemouth correspondent. You had begun to worry about them, but this is a good result. Could have been a lot better, couldn't it? But a point is still good at Brentford. Could have been a lot better. Could have been, could have been an awful lot worse. Brentford had to come be, from behind to rescue a point, but Brentford all, also hit the post three times. And it wasn't just, you know scraping the paint that these were shots or headers that were thumped off the post and Brian Mwemo missed an absolute sitter so Bournemouth probably should have got tongued or could have got tongued on another day yeah I, I would still be concerned about them um and 
the the Bournemouth I'm seeing isn't the Rio Vallecano that Sid wrote so gushingly about. You know, it's not the Bournemouth you've been promised, Barry, is it? Yeah, it's not the Bournemouth I've been sold. It's like when you 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 order something off the internet and and then it arrives and it turns out that really cheap kitchen table you've bought and chairs are actually for a doll's house. And that's, <laughs> that's why they only cost £6.50. Um, I had a question, Lucy, about that equaliser, right? I can't work out how Mbemo is clean through about five seconds after Bournemouth have lobbed a goal kick right up the pitch. I mean, defensively, that is, must be absolutely soul-destroying. Yeah, do you know what Bournemouth? I did, I did Bournemouth against Spurs, and Irala, the way that he plays and the way that he wants to set his team up is good in theory, and he probably needed a little bit longer with this group of players, and they probably they go they go to press, they all go to press, and they did it against Spurs. Spurs got through them, and then I think just by the second or third time that it happened, they just lose, they just lost a little bit, little bit of belief, and what what he can't what he can't afford to happen, Irala, is that the players lose belief in what he's trying to do when things like that happen. You know, when you think you're going to, you're sort of going to win away from home and you probably don't deserve to. And then you concede quite late on because of something that you've done. That's not quite right. And that's what he's, that, that's, that is my worry for Bournemouth is the players get to a point where they go, actually what you're asking us to do is not working. And I, and I think he's right on the balance between that at the moment. Luton one, West Ham two. We got to see the Kenilworth road cauldron. Will, and Gene Evan Carroll walking into the away end, looking at people's gardens. I mean, I love it. I don't feel it's all that patronising. I think it's obviously it's a point of difference to every other Premier League ground you see. Maybe it is patronising. It, it comes from a position of love when I think about that ground. Um, but their atmosphere was not enough. West Ham are obviously decent, but Luton do look like they they kind of struggle to score goals. Yeah, I mean, I think that the matter with Kenilworth Road is facts. It's a small ground with houses. I don't, you're not making it up. You're not exaggerating. That's that's what it is. Uh, yeah, Luton have been very pragmatic in the transfer market. They've not overspent. Obviously, they've gone slightly wild card with Ross Barkley, but they've accepted that they're pretty much they're going to go down and they're going to go down with a stronger squad than they came up with. And they're going to be financially healthy. They're not going to struggle. They can potentially do further planning on replacing Kenilworth Road with something a bit better um, with that money. So, yeah, they're not going to trouble too many teams this season. They're going to be relatively solid. And, yeah, they've got a lot of championship strikers that are not going to are going to find it very hard in the Premier League because it's a massive step up. And, you know, they came up through the playoffs. So, you know, it's a bit of a surprise that they're here at all. You get a lot less time planning. And yeah, if you want a top Premier League striker now, right? What, you're spending twenty million quid, and they've just not got that money to spend, or not want to spend that money in in this scenario. You can't fault Luton for effort, really. They're they're just lacking in that bit of class and guile and wish and imagination. A bit like this pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, listen. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the European draws and a bit of uh, international stuff as well. Can we do a Leeds corner, Lucy? How are they getting on now that they're not in the Premier League and no one talks about them? Yeah, it's been difficult. For I think Daniel Farker has is the best choice that that Leeds could have made, and I think that he probably thought it at the time, and he's now thinking, oh god, because they had all these clauses in contracts to play, and th- and this is th- this is the thing. 
that always makes me laugh that fans actually believe that players care about their clubs and the players don't care about your club enough right and and I had this conversation with one of my friends who's a Southampton fan and she was like oh James Ward-Prowse and I was like yeah but he's at West Ham so he, he does care about Southampton, but he doesn't care about Southampton enough. And, and this is the point. And Leeds fans just couldn't get their heads around the fact that these players wanted to leave. It's because they're not bothered about your football club. Um, that is the stark reality. And I think that that's something that, that, that fans probably never will be able to get their head around, that this is a job to the players. So, yeah, so basically Leeds have ended up with uh, Piro from... Um, Swansea, who's a, who's a, a good sign-in. They've managed to keep hold of Nonto... Um, Sinisteria went and we got Jaden Anthony from um, Bournemouth. So it looks all right. It looks all right. It's just I'm not sure whether he will be able to get them scoring. They, they, they struggled against Sheffield Wednesday, who put sort of like 11 players back. Um, I think it's going to be one of those consolidation seasons, I have to say. But um, at least uh, Leeds have got a good manager. Yes, Baz. La, Lucy, I just wanted to ask you, as someone who I know is a huge fan of Calvin Phillips, what, what you think of his situation at the moment? Yeah, I, w- I was surprised, actually, that he didn't go somewhere else. I was, I, I heard sort of rumours that Liverpool were interested, but I'm just not so sure that Man City would let him go to certain teams, and I think that might be the reason. Um you know, he's probably looked at it, well, he probably would have gone to Liverpool and played, but I'm not sure that City would have let him go to Liverpool and play. Um, I think he's in the England squad because Gareth Southgate recognises that he is one of the very, very few English-born players who can play in that position. I don't think there's many others that can do it, um, and he's not let him down in the past. I think that's, you know, when people sort of going on about why he's being picked for England, I think that He's been picked because there isn't there isn't another England senior midfielder that plays a lot that 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 plays in that position as well as Calvin does. But yeah, I'm dis- I'm disappointed that that he's not playing because he's such a good player and it's such a waste really. So it's um, the only thing I would say is that that there has been players in the past. Rodri sat and watched Fernandinho play for for match after match after match. Um, Ake looked like he was on his way out because he hardly played and then now he plays and that, that's that's the hope that he's just got to keep going Finally Hammett says I've been waiting for this tweet I have a question I know there's only been five games but can you talk about Preston North End being top of the championship after making our best start for 95 years I love the pod I'm not just saying that um, well we we can't because we've run out of time, but we have mentioned that they are. <laughs> so I, I, I'm ready. Congratulations to you. But... Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we, didn't Preston crop up in conversation around this time last year? Is it they kept winning 1-0 or losing 1-0 or something? Yeah. Something like that. It was like a that. very binary, it was a binary. Uh, yeah, they looked like a computer code. Yeah. Just 1-0, 0-1, 1-1. So nil, we nil, have nil, mentioned nil, Preston, you know, you know. Yeah. We, you know, we, there are things to say, not just... Tom Finney and Nat Lofthouse. Did they play for Preston? I hope they did. I presume they did. Anyway, uh, look, we've got a mailbag tomorrow, so you never know. We may have time and space. Uh, if you have a burning question, footballweekly at theguardian.com or just uh, drop me a tweet. Uh, but that'll do for today. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you, Lucy. Cheers, Max. Thanks, Baz. You're welcome. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.